Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com. To my audience and my listeners, this is Carl McKinney, co-hosting with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green, the Sharkpreneur Podcast. Today, it's a red-letter day. We have Sophie Howard, CEO and founder of Aspiring Entrepreneurs. Um, well, let's just go right in here. Sophie, you've had a remarkable journey as an entrepreneur, and, and you now serve as a coach for aspiring entrepreneurs. I like to think when you're done with them, they're not aspiring entrepreneurs, but finally entrepreneurs. But can you yeah. share a pivotal moment from your entrepreneurial career uh, that's influenced your approach to business and coaching? Well, it would have been a family-led moment because I was early on in uh, my career and with a young baby and a toddler, I had a pivotal moment realizing I couldn't do it all. And if I didn't have children, I would have probably stumbled along in the day job until I was in my 60s and never actually changed the plan and just kept working harder and harder for that corner office in the higher tax bracket and then collapsed in a heap at the end of it all with not much life experience, just lots of corporate experience. So a really good thing was having children because I realized I didn't want to work hard for someone else anymore. And I'd always thought I'd get around to starting my own business or that I wouldn't work for someone else forever. But it was actually the combination of being super sleep deprived, outsourcing all the childcare to a nanny and missing out on the time with my children. I thought, right, I have to do something different. So I've had some big results in business since then, and they're all a nice feeling, but there was no feeling like the day of writing the Dear Boss, I Quit letter, Love Sophie, to my boss and uh, figuring out what I was going to do on my own. <laughs> it looks like you've done tremendous, in particular, overcoming challenges. Excuse me. And as we know, you know, being an entrepreneur is just a roller coaster, highs and lows, and it's tough to deal with occasionally, and sometimes you're just riding a wave that's wonderful. Uh, can yeah. you tell us uh, another challenge? I know the, 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 the being a, a, mo a mom is certainly a challenge. I know my mother was challenged with me. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's been plenty it, of it challenges. Like a, like a business challenge. Uh... A business challenge. Um, there's a there's one theme that's been the recurring source of all challenges in my business, which has been the bullying big platforms and it's made me very deliberately keep clear of big platforms for any business I ever now build I will never build a business on paid Facebook ads sorry Facebook not another dollar from me to you ever again and um I don't really like how Amazon pushes its sellers around and you know I used to do FBA products and I don't anymore really I've got a few still hanging about but 
that was a really good strategy for a long time. But the second that platform wants to do a product just like yours or change the storage fees or cut the commissions, they can. They give you no notice, just big heavyweights in the room. So it's not... Not that I dislike Amazon as a platform. I still sell a lot of eBooks on the Amazon platform. And I think that's a really good strategy because you own the content and there's actually no other platform to sell eBooks on. And that's such a profitable thing to sell. So I love Amazon for that, but it's more the marketing of your products. I never want to be at the mercy of Amazon or Facebook's algorithms ever again. So I'm happy to put my content on YouTube, happy to run a group on Facebook, happy to sell eBooks on Amazon, but I just found that um, you can't be on all the different platforms. I mean, I can't do TikTok and YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook and my own broadcasts. So you have to pick and choose a bit but for the delivery of your content. But I just um, I think paid traffic is really tough and uh, just beyond your control. It doesn't make good business sense to be that exposed on your source of customers. Ooh. You know, it sounds like uh, you kind of have a realistic view. And sometimes you know, we run into it here at, at, at our company that uh, entrepreneurs will have a totally unrealistic view. Um, can you share some strategies that you use to temper their realism, to get them kind of back to earth? And this is how you're not going to grow 10x in the first two days. It's going to take a little longer than that. So yeah. some strategies on how you coach uh, the new entrepreneur in that. Okay. Well, actually, this is interesting because the last thing I wrote was notes to myself on a meeting with my team of things I'm going to re-record in my marketing and in my messaging because um, I've got a program that teaches people how to buy online businesses. And I've been buying a lot of online businesses in the last few years, and I've had some really, really good results. And to me, it's been A, very lucrative and very fun, and there's a lot of great deals out there, and B, I haven't had to do too much of the hands-on tech myself, which is lucky for me because I've got a team that can do that stuff. So what I needed to re-record in all my messaging was that you don't need to be techie, but you need to be kind of accepting of the skills you'll need to either learn or outsource. And I think some people just bury their head in the sand and say, oh, I'm not techie, so I can't do this. Or um, I'm, nobody will be good enough to outsource to. So there's always some trade-off. Either you're doing it all yourself or you're handing it off to other people. And both of those are quite hard for some people. And for some people, you can't. it's really hard for them to do either of those two. And then you go nowhere. So I think there's always some trade-offs and always something that's less than perfect and less than ideal. But I think for outsourcing, maybe 10% of the time, the person you've outsourced to doesn't do it as well as you. But there's no way you can do 100% of it yourself. So I think the letting go of control it comes back to really deep psychological fundamental principles for each person it's not like they don't know how to open an account on upwork and post a job it's the feeling of letting go of control of something that your reputation's attached to your future income's attached to it's a big leap so i think that's one of the big hurdles i try and get people past really early on is that you start small and you build trust and you practice letting go of things where it's not catastrophic if they make a typo in an email or they, you know, don't color in the Canva designs the same color you'd have chosen. But there's some really, really good people out there hungry for work who want some steady work, interesting work. And uh, it's just a matter of a bit of trial and error to find the right people that you get on with and click as a person, not just for the skill sets. It's really a game of trust rather than a game of skills. So um, the human side of outsourcing is really challenging for people. So I like to help people get help so in my case when I buy an online business I don't do my own SEO I just 
hand that to someone who's good at SEO. And I don't lose sleep over that because there's no way I could do that much SEO and be good at it and stay up to date with Google each week and all the tools you need and all the competitors you're tracking and all the things that are happening on that keyword. You've got to just hand over, let the pros take over sometimes. One of the strategies you use to buy online businesses that you teach entrepreneurs or teach people how to buy online businesses are working because you're your own client and it's successful for you. Can you share with us the kind of the the, the broad 20,000 foot view of what, what what looks good to you? What what makes a good online purchase to online? Oh, I love this. I love doing these deals. So what I do is I scan a bunch of the big platforms where these businesses are listed for sale. And every day I get a bunch of notifications and my eyes light up when I see a few particular business models or a few niches that I really like. So I love a good content site or I like a good newsletter business, but I'm not going to buy a social media business because that's not really me. So I kind of have my criteria for what suits me and my particular acquisition criteria. And then there's a lot of very low cost sites out there, maybe a $2,000 content or blog site is for sale on the platform. And it's got bidding going crazy. Everybody wants to buy this health and wellness blog that was started by some nice mummy blogger two years ago. And it's got thousands of articles and great following. And I don't buy those ones. So I don't like the little ones that aren't earning very much because I then have to spend a lot of money on content and grow them for ages before they start making money. So it might be cheap on day one to buy it, but you've got to spend a lot of money on it to grow it, to get it earning. And then I also, so I'd call those like the side hustle buys. That's buying yourself a side hustle that you take over, but you still got a lot of work to do to get the result. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there's like the institutional investor deals, you know, somebody doing a private equity roll up of six Google or say Amazon affiliate sites or Amazon FBA businesses, someone's buying six, stitching them all together and selling it on. And they're really sophisticated operators. And that's not me. So I like the middle spot, which is what I'd call the acquisition entrepreneur. So it might be a 20K site earning a few hundred US dollars a month, or it might be the last deal I did was 300K and is earning thousands every month. It's enough to live off. So in that spot, you're not buying yourself a job because the content or the business model, however that site is monetized, it's already up and working. So it's a fast track to that finish line of owning a profitable online business. With the really little sites, you're buying a kernel of an idea and growing it yourself. It's like buying a seed. You can buy a forest, which is, you know, the the big private equity guys, and they've got other people's money and bank loans and SBA finance and tricky tricky interest stuff and all sorts of complexity. I just do cash deals in that sweet spot where they're profitable. The nice thing is there's not too many other buyers at that price. So I bought one recently for 55K and the asking price was 110K, but there were no other buyers. And the business really suited me. The vendor was very motivated. I paid all cash, got a brilliant, brilliant deal on that business. And it's earning really well. And it was a really quality business. I mean, it was quite unique. It would be really hard for someone to come along and copy. Uh, It's got a subscription model attached. So there's recurring revenue every month. It's really nice. So um, that's the kind of the zone I look for, sort of a cash deal, that's not accessible to somebody popping it on their credit card for a couple of K um, and not using other people's money, but a smart quality business that's got kind of a bit of a moat around it that stops other people copying it easily. Gotcha. Okay. Now the business landscape is, is fluid and ever changing. 
And in your teaching or coaching or advising your entrepreneurs, what, what strategies do you give them? How do you prepare them to deal with that new trend that's going to happen in December that won't be relevant in January? Yeah. Oh, there's lots of those. And it can really turn your head if you watch too many, you know, alarmist notices at once. So I follow a couple of people on what's happening on Google, but not everybody, just two trusted sources. Um, and that encompasses all the AI stuff as well, because I only really care about AI in the context of should I be using it for my articles or for my whatever, you know, so I don't use AI really. And I just go for quality content and all the other tactical stuff all gets eroded by, you know, the ups and downs of the loopholes being closed off behind you. So as long as you do quality content and take a 12 month view of everything, then there's nothing really to get too concerned about there's all sorts of trends and spikes i look at things like the multiples that businesses are bought and sold on at different price points and in different industries and in different business models as well so at the moment i'm really excited by the fact that SaaS businesses uh, continue to be valued on revenue not profit so i'm actually putting a lot of resource into one of my SaaS businesses to grow and sell at the moment so that's my big 2024 exit plan is a, a big build and okay. sell. Okay. And then um, interest rates are high. And partly I'm doing that because we don't pay capital gains tax in New Zealand on a business sale, which is good. And, um, you know, clearing a mortgage would be okay. great. Okay. So, um, so I do a combination of buying cash producing assets and then growing businesses to sell. So I'm always in growth mode. Um, and, uh, yeah, I have a lot of fun just um, staying up to date. I go to a couple of conferences a year. There's one every year in Las Vegas that's the best of the best of the kind of business and selling, the business of buying and selling business online businesses. So I go to that and um, feel like that network of people, I'm only ever one link away from the very best person in the world to ask a question on what does this Google update mean or should we all be on TikTok next week or how do I do YouTube or whatever. So um, I found lots of good mentoring and um, I'd always rather read a good business book with, which has long-term principles than a YouTube short that's relevant for a week. <laughs> okay. It sounds like, you know, you've uh, creatively and successfully used mentoring and you yourself are a mentor to to many, many of your students and your, I guess, your, your alumni. Um, how would you, what would you say to someone today a 22 23 year old eyes like headlights that just wants to kill the world and has an idea what would you oh say well that? my very boring advice to everybody at that stage is keep the day job it's so boring and it's not what they want to hear they want to be told they can retire tomorrow for millions and be a digital nomad but your ability to take risks in your business and not lose the lot is so much higher when you've got a day job you also don't need 10 hours a day to work on a small business, especially if you build it as if you're going to sell it one day, which is a good discipline to have. And that means you outsource all the admin, you outsource all the content writing or the you have the strategy brain and you spend your time learning how to be strategic and learning how to manage a team, not doing all the doing and keep the day job. And then if something goes wrong, you've still got the day job. And if you're making so much money in your side business, the day that you quit your day job will be the most wonderful feeling in the world. 
But I, I noticed when I quit my day job and I had a very, very successful Amazon business, I was doing tens of thousands of profit a month. Um, I got a bit cold feet when it came to ordering a new product. When I had the day job, I had, you know, the business was cranking. The cash flow was absolutely maximized to stay in stock and launch new products. And I felt really bullish and confident with every product I chose. And there was a lot of decision-making with which projects going, which products going to fly on Amazon and what I'll need to do to launch it in the packaging. There's a lot of decisions to make in quick succession. And I found that when I didn't have the day job, although I had more time, I was less decisive because the cost of going a bit wrong really hurt a lot more. Nothing offset a poor decision. And so I reckon the more you can practice your decision-making with the backstop of a good day job, um, the better you'll get at making decisions and the better your business will be. Plus you'll have two income streams. So everything you earn in the business, you can put back into growing the business. Once you start drawing a salary out the business to live off, you've got less funds for marketing. You've got less ability to hire people in your team. Much better to stay top level and grow it organically and bootstrap it, but um, not draw a big salary too soon. I think it's my big advice for the young people who are charging to go. And maybe get a job where you're learning some useful skills that will help you with your own business. You know, if you're going to be selling, you know, infiltrate the sales team. Or if you're going to be managing a tech team, get to see how to manage a tech team somehow in your day job or change day jobs, but keep the steady income going. That is great advice. And I, I kind of think back to when I was 22. Jeez, I wish someone told me that. was <laughs> <laughs> typically struggle with that work-life balance um tell me in, in your coaching and in your mentoring how do you advise some of us workaholics not to be workaholics oh well i'm not a workaholic um and i find it quite easy uh <laughs> so it's a hard thing to teach you know you're really good at teaching things that you struggle with yourself usually um what I do is in my coaching programs, there's always really early on a big block on kind of self-care and um, self-management, because if you deplete yourself, then your future quality of work is just rubbish. I mean, you get sick and you become very unproductive after being too productive. So it's better to be kind of a tortoise than a hare, I think, for some of these business projects. They're a long game, every kind of business. There's a lot of drama and decision-making and having to be strategic. And if you're exhausted mentally, you just can't both be strategic and creative and tired and stressed all at once. Your brain just physically cannot do those two things in parallel. So Tony Robbins is really big on this. You know, you have to sort out all your problems and issues and, you know, clear your head so that you can have a successful mindset. If you're worried about paying your rent, there's no way you're going to have the energy and enthusiasm to invest in starting a business. You're just in survival mode. So you've got to work your way up through the tiers to enjoy that free time um, that comes with, you know, the ability to earn in your own business. But I think physical health, um, I've noticed at recent conferences. So in the, the US conference circuit, I used to go to lots of conferences and there'd be lots of very stressed looking people, quite happy not to see daylight for five days straight in a conference center, eating junk food. I think the focus has become a lot more health oriented. And you even see people like Russell Brunson's become, you know, he was Mr. Cheerios and now he's, you know, lean, mean fighting machine. And he had been a student athlete. There's people like that who are really modeling good health and the importance of it. There's people like... um 
the Huberman Lab, Andrew Huberman, you know, podcasts like that, top business leaders and entrepreneurs are following how to biohack their best brain, their best stamina to keep working. You know, it's not just a work yourself into the ground game. So I try and practice what I preach. I go running. I walk the dog every day. I play tennis. I have time with my children. I travel a lot. Um, and then I always have my best work ideas when I'm traveling or driving home from tennis or, you know, that sort of thing. It's hopeless if I sit at a desk all day. So I try and teach my students that too, that, um, you very rapidly run out of quality ideas when you're not working in a healthy way. Now you said there's certain things that you don't struggle with and so you're better at teaching the things that you've overcome. <laughs> Tell me the top three or four things that uh, that you're uh, mentoring you guys or girls with. Oh, top mentoring things. Um, I think go fast. I think money definitely likes speed. So that would be a strong recommendation. You know, keep the day job, but try a few things out quickly. You know, don't um, wait for 12 months for it to be perfect. Just get the thing out the door and see how it's, you know, see the response test the pricing, you know, try a new channel. If it doesn't stick, doesn't matter. Keep, keep on with the next thing. So I think money likes speed and uh, move fast. Don't muck around for ages and don't be a perfectionist is another big one. Um, outsource really early. Um, there's no way you can buy a portfolio of online businesses and be writing every content article on a blog post yourself every day, doing the keyword research, finding an image, formatting the headings. You know, it's just an idiot's way of trying to get ahead is to go, right, the only way ahead is multiplying me by a thousand hours. It's just madness to think that that's quality or sustainable or profitable. So I'm really hot on people getting professional outsourced help really early on. Even if it's just a tiny amount, just gets you in that habit of, you outsource everything you can that's not you and quarter your strategy. Um, and finally, a thing I um, really advise people on a lot is working with a big pulse of effort and then having a break. So there's a book called The 12 Week Year and it's by Brian P. Moran. It's a great book. And in it, he basically says, when you really need to hit a result, you can always put your foot down and work really fast and really hard and really smart and get that thing done when you're up against a big deadline. But most of us wait till December and do the sprint finish to hit our target to get the Christmas bonus or whatever. So instead of working like that, do four big pushes a year and have a really well-earned break in between them. And I think that's really good. So I try and do that. I do a 12-week block at full speed, knowing that at the end of that, the business is live, the course is ready for the students, the summit is organized, whatever I'm doing, those are the things I'm doing at the moment. So those are my examples, but a big push and then a breather is much better than just, you know, go, go, go all the time. And then not spending time with family, never booking a vacation, not sitting outside in the summer, in the garden, doing what you enjoy or um, planning something with your family. So um, I think just breaking it up when you've got your own business, especially when you work from home, you can just fall into a trap of staring at your screen all day, every day, and none of it actually leads to much. So I think um, nobody's perfect at this. It's definitely some people struggle to get motivated to get started and some people struggle to let go and ease off. So everybody's somewhere on that spectrum and never quite where they want to be, obviously. Um, but I do think it's um 
definitely a big plus for any entrepreneur who early on gets into the habit of working when you're working and resting when you're resting. And then uh, keep your energy dry for the big decisions and the creative bits. And you can pretty much outsource everything else apart from those bits. It's wonderful advice. Now, beyond financial success, economic success, there's that desire to leave a lasting legacy to your Mm -hmm. family. How do you advise uh, first to define what legacy they want to leave and then how to go about setting up their business to leave that legacy? How do you work with your... uh, Oh, that's a really good question. I haven't been asked that before on a podcast. Um, I've actually just read a very interesting book by Bill Perkins called Die With Zero, which would say, do the opposite, live really, really well and don't... um, don't worry about leaving a legacy. Give your children what they need during their lives. Help them set up as they're putting their children through private school or buying their first home or paying for university for your children. So that's where you spend your money, not leaving it all behind when you die. <laughs> so hopefully there's some left over after paying for my children's private school fees and their children's private school fees, if that's what's needed. Hopefully my children turn out to be successful too and they're making their own money. Um There is definitely an intergenerational thing. I feel like the families that give a massive inheritance to the next generation, that generation generally blows it. And then the one after that watches in horror as their parents are reckless spenders and they're the most frugal, hardworking (laughs) opposite. It just goes flip, flop, flip, flop. Much better just to be steady. So I'm not too worried about building a legacy, I think, one of the things you leave behind is your reputation. So if you've left a good reputation that you helped a lot of people get good results and people think of you and, you know, the turnout to your funeral is a pretty good measure rather than uh, whether there's a building at a university named after you or a swimming pool, maybe an airport, you know. <laughs> Don't think there's going to be any Sophie Howard airports around. But, um, you know, I'd like to do stuff really close to home, you know, uh, conservation type projects, that sort of thing would be uh, really worthy. Um, I'd like to have my children travel a lot. Um, and then they've got those experiences for life rather than money, which is there today, gone tomorrow. So I'm going to try and do as much with my own family as I can while we're all fit and healthy and able to travel and the world's not locked up. And I think that's the way to spend the money. Enjoy it now. That is wonderful. I um, get it. I know Seth hates when we talk about herself, but I have to share this. My theory used to be, the last thing I want to happen before I pass away is I want my accountant to call me and say, Carl, you're $1 overdrawn. <laughs> Brilliant. Game <laughs> over. And take care of the ch- give, give the children stuff when you can watch them enjoy it and do what you do with the rest. Listen, I want to uh, give you an opportunity to talk to our audience and tell them how to reach you. There's a million aspiring entrepreneurs out there and, um, We'd like you to talk to them. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I run a group, Aspiring Entrepreneurs. So I've got a um, community of people who are looking to buy online businesses. And what we do is teach you how it all works, you know, where the businesses are listed for sale and what to look for and what to watch out for as well. And then we'll guide you through the process of buying an online business. And you can start as small as you like. Um, the sky's the limit if you want to go big, but we... Um, Really think there's a great buying opportunity at the moment to invest in sort of small to medium online businesses that could give you enough income to live off, especially maybe if you bought a couple or three. Um, And the idea is building a small portfolio, 
upskilling so that you know how to own and operate those sorts of sites. And I think it can be extremely lucrative, very liberating. You don't need to be based in any one particular place. You don't work for anyone else. Uh, buy really quality businesses. So we do one-on-one deal reviews with you and confidence as you're hunting for your businesses to buy. And it's just a different asset class. It's a very, very high return. Um, a different set of risks and benefits attached to, say, property. Very different. But I think it's uh, unbeatable for a certain group of people. And those people would be uh, ambitious and able to learn and um, want that time and financial freedom. It's not completely passive. I'd be lying if I said anyone can do this. It's uh, for people that got some ambition, don't need to be techie, but you need to sort of manage a tech person if you're not techie yourself. Um, and um, yeah, I think there's some really, really quality and interesting businesses for sale and far more businesses for sale than there are serious buyers. So if you turn up knowing what you're looking for and what to make an offer and get our help negotiating, I think there's some really, really good deals to be done and a couple of deals done and you might not need your day job anymore, which is always a nice place to get to. So the website is aspiringentrepreneurs.com and the course is called Freedom Navigator. Uh, My name is Sophie Howard. So if you look at any of those, you should find the course. And there's a free training. There's actually a free book as well. Maybe we can drop that into the course notes. And in that book, I do a bit of a run through of the strategy, obviously, but also lots of case studies like blow by blow, how I bought these businesses, how they've turned out, what I did to them, what's working and uh, some real case studies. So you can see exactly what it looks like doing this. And I'm busy doing lots of these deals now um, and planning on doing lots more. And I've been teaching and helping people find the same sorts of deals as well. So we've got a really nice community where we're all helping each other out, finding great deals. So it's been really fun and very rewarding in lots of different ways. So if you're interested in a new income stream through owning online businesses rather than building them, uh, then check out the links and uh, you can see those in the show notes and we'll um, look after you very well and make sure we help you find the right deals for you. Great. Uh, To the audience, guys, this is Carl McKinney uh, with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green on the Sharkpreneur Podcast. We will see you talk to you and hear from you the next time thank you thank you for joining us today so thank you carl it was lovely thanks bye why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth now i've scaled more than 20 businesses to over 100 million dollars and it's not just luck In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit C-SuiteRadio.com.